You know, we've uh, been on this journey over the last, uh, began last week on fear. And we're talking about fears and what, what those fears are and how we should accommodate or cope with that. Last week, I walked us through what are the things that make us fearful. And if you missed last week's message for any reason, uh, go back onto our uh, homepage or on our uh, app or even on YouTube, and you can find that in the archives, and that'll help set the stage of where we are today. So today we're going to talk about being fearless, being fearless by overcoming the challenges that we have in life. And I, I thought a little bit about the message today, and, and I wanted to kind of put things into context by a story of my grandson, my youngest grandson, Henry. Well, Henry and his sister Audrey, they're from Mississippi. They uh, visited us over the summer, and we had a couple of uh, 10 days or so with them, and it was just like real bliss, you know, especially the grandkids you can't see real often. It's extra special when they're in town. So Patty and I, we wanted to do a couple of things with them that was special and uh, to just uh, really enjoy that quality time. So one of the things we did was we took them to the water park over in Indian Rocks Beach. I don't know if maybe you've been there. Uh, it's right there by the Holiday Inn, and, and uh, it was a great place to be. And I remember while we were there, um, Audrey is like a fish. That's his older sister. She loves the water. But Henry is still a little bit scared of water. And, and so I remember I was inside of the pool, and I was standing there with my arms outstretched, and he was kind of like, you know, just tapping his feet on the side, and, and he was not really sure he wanted to jump in. I'm going like, come on, Henry, jump. It's okay, jump. I'm going to catch you. I'm not going to let you fall in. And, and Henry was kind of at that stage where, where he wasn't really sure. He was uncertain. His, his whole body was telling him, hey, let's get in the pool. It's going to be fun. But his mind was like, I don't know about this. And uh, so, so there was this uh, constant challenge that was happening. And, and Henry knew he couldn't swim. And, 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 and I know what was going on in his mind was, well, what would happen if uh, Poppy just uh, didn't catch me and I fell in and, and I would, I, you know, this little man body would be in distress. And so I know that that was going through his mind. On the other hand, um, here I am in the water, and, I, and I'm looking at Henry, and there's two things that I know about that is, is that I'm bigger than Henry, and I've been around in the world a lot longer than Henry, and I, and I know for relatively most of his young life, I've been trustworthy. <laughs> and uh, you were supposed to laugh at that. But anyway, so, so, uh, so here I am standing there, and I'm trying to coach him into the water, and Henry was close to the edge, and I kept saying to him, jump, jump. And right there, it was at that moment where, where he was thinking, if I trust, things will be okay. But if I jump and they, things aren't the way they're supposed to do, then I know he was thinking about fear, that fear would come into his life. So whichever way that uh, my grandson chose that day was going to shape his life. He could choose to trust me that I'm telling him he's going to be okay, just jump into my arms. And if he made that choice, it would give him the courage and the credibility for the rest of his life to know that if he took chances, that the chances were that everything would be okay. The flip side was that, that there was that, um, that, that antagonist side that was at it. And, and he would be worried that, that if he made the wrong choice, that, that if something went wrong in this transaction of him jumping in my catching, that um, something bad could happen to him. And if he chose to be afraid to jump into my arms, then the likelihood of him always living in the future of being afraid of taking chances, afraid of new experiences, was quite real. Now, I want to make sure that all of our grandkids um, don't fear the water from a sense that they're scared of it, but from respect. 
especially in Florida. We know that um, water is prevalent everywhere we go, and I want them to make good choices about that. But I also want to teach them that just as God teaches us to fear not, that he needs to learn to fear not, that he can trust, and that he could take those steps that were so important of getting there. Now, I would be willing to guess that you and I, mostly every day, we probably battle between trust and fear, don't we? We probably have circumstances that come up, that raise up, that come out from left field, things that we're faced with, things that we know are coming our way, or things that just go totally unexpected that we're not really sure. And trust and fear are a constant battle that we have. And we have to learn how to manage that. We have to learn how to negotiate that. We have to learn as Christians how to live into that, how we can be a people of, of faith and a people of trust, knowing that there are fears all around us. And as we begin today, I, I kind of want to throw out a thought for you. So I want you to think about as we start this message, where is it in your life that you are being too cautious? Where is it in your life that maybe you're being fearful and maybe God is challenging you to be reckless for the kingdom? Maybe God is, is moving you out into a deeper water, so to speak. Maybe God is challenging you, but you're just not, a, not sure. You're afraid. And that's kind of where, where I want us to look today as we deal with this. Last week, I gave a, <clears throat> a definition of fear. Let me kind of um, expand upon that a little bit more. What is fear? Um, at its simplest and most benign, fear is an internal warning cry. It's that little voice inside of us. It's that restless spirit. It's that annoyance that won't go away. That's kind of telling us to put the brakes, put the brakes on, to stop, to, to be aware, to look around and, and show, see what's going on. It's, a, it's showing us that a danger is nearby and that we had better be aware of that. That's what fear is. It's that mechanism that lives inside of us. It's, it's designed to be what researchers say is a self-correcting method that when we experience something, what happens emotionally or physically inside of us or spiritually or, or uh, mentally, it's a self-correction that, that we see and sense this danger that we need to make sure. And we need that whatever it is that's threatening us, we need to be able to deal with that. So fear, fear involves several things. Fear involves thinking about danger. In fact, fear um, uh, in, involves things that whether it's learned behavior, I talked a little bit about that last week, or whether it's uh, something that's just ingrained that, that is just there. I mean, certain experiences, I think researchers have said, that certain experiences are things that we don't really learn but that we're afraid of, like loud noises, like babies. Uh, we, we probably, when we're children, loud noises are happening and, and we become afraid of that. We're, some of us are afraid of the dark. Some of us are afraid of heights. I showed you that picture last week of somebody holding somebody like 40 floors up and dangling off the side of a building. Um, you know, quasi-theologian Dave Barry, uh, he writes this. He says, all of us are born with a set of instinctive fears of falling, of the dark, of lobsters, of falling on lobsters in the dark, of speaking before a rotary club, and here's mine, the words some assembly required. Um, so, so there's some things that we're fearful of. There's some things that are there. So, so this morning's text that I want to get us to puts a smack dab in the middle of this fearful experience. And through this experience, we're going to learn about um, the disciples. We're going to learn about what Jesus did and had to say. And, and more importantly, what God's word says for us today. Now, there's two specific stories in the Gospels that deal with Jesus, disciples, and a boat. 
The first one we've taught on several times in the church, and, and that one goes something like this, that Jesus and the disciples get in a boat. He says, let's go to the other side. They push out into the water. Jesus is tired. He's fatigued. He decides to go grab his pillow and take a nap in the bottom of the boat. And meanwhile, as the stories tell us from the gospel's point of view, that these storms begin to rage, the seas, the seas become foamy, it's sloshing and pounding the boat, and they're afraid that they're going to die. And they cry out, Jesus, help us! And he's right in the boat. And what happens, the story says, that Jesus gets up, he wakes up, clears his eyes, he stands up, he raises his arms, and he says, quiet, be still! And the winds become silent, and the waves stop, and the disciples are no longer afraid. Well, the second story of Jesus, the disciples, and it sounds like a bad joke, Jesus, disciples, and a boat. Um, but, but it's found in Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, it talks a little bit about this. They're in a boat. And let me just set this up a little bit. So what we learn in Matthew 14 about this story of Jesus, the disciples, and the boat is that something huge has just happened prior to getting in the boat. Jesus and... Um, has, has gathered the crowds. Um, you know, we, we know historically that it was the spring. It says it was a grassy area. It was a field. Uh, it was a plain that was full of grass. So it's likely before the Passover season. And Jesus is there and he's teaching. He's preaching. It's getting late. The disciples are getting edgy and angry. The people are getting cranky. They're getting hungry. And they're like, you know, what are we going to do? We can't feed these people. And Jesus says, well, what do you got? And they say, oh, this kid over there, he's got a SpongeBob, you know, um, you know, knapsack, let's, let's look inside of that. And there's five loaves, which are really five small pieces of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, well, bring it to me. And he blesses it. And this is where we understand the miracle of the feeding of the masses. You know, it says 5,000 men, but, but, but historically we know there was probably 20,000 because, you know, it also included women and children. Why did we know that women were there? Because how could 5,000 men find their way to a place anyway? You know, it required the women. To get them there. So I heard an amen back here. So, so anyway, <clears throat> so it's about 20,000 who were fed that day. And it says that the miracle continued, that not only were they fed and, and uh, taken care of, but that they had basketfuls that they took off with them there. So let's pick up on that story. So, so that's happened. Jesus is tired. We see the pattern of Jesus. He preaches. He teaches. The crowds become, you know, swarming upon him. He gets kind of this, uh, I've, I've got to get away from this a little bit. And folks, you know, hey, he lived in the flesh. You know what it's like. You get kind of pounded in. I've got to get a little space here. And, but this time, instead of getting in the boat with the disciples, he says to them, he says, you get in the boat, you go to the other side, and I'm going to go off and pray. So let's pick up in the story here in Matthew chapter uh, 14, and we're going to look at verses 22 to 33. Immediately after this, so immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. And after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray, and night fell while he was there alone. Interestingly, in the Gospel of Matthew, this is the first reference of Jesus praying to God alone. So we know that there's something that's happening here. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from the land. And what, what scholars estimate is they were probably two to three, maybe four miles offshore. So they're in the middle of this huge lake. 
and they are like way away from land, too far to swim back. It says, meanwhile, they were in trouble far away from the land. A strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. This is significant. From the time Jesus says, get in the boat, go out in the water, I'm going to go pray. It's about nine o'clock. Um, it's like midday and then at 3 a.m. So, so it's like, um, it's been about nine hours, I think. Uh, it's into the fourth watch. It's been about nine hours that they've been wrestling with this storm that they are in the middle of, okay? So strong winds come. Jesus now comes walking on the water about 3 o'clock in the morning. Is anybody coherent at 3 o'clock in the morning? Don't call me at 3 o'clock. No, please, you can call me. But just give me a second to go like, now, who is this? I didn't order a pizza. What? Um, but anyway, so, so here, here it's 3 o'clock in the morning, and Jesus shows up. The disciples saw him walking on the water. They were terrified, and in their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once, don't be afraid. There's those words again. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, because I am here. Then Peter, Peter called to him. So, so Peter's in the boat. Jesus is making his way to the troubled disciples. Notice how, how God comes to our problems. He does, we don't have to just go to God. God comes to us. God senses what's happening. Jesus is coming to the disciples. Peter calls out, Lord, if it's really you, please tell me to come to you. So Peter, um, Peter gets a lot of bad press here because in a minute, Jesus is going to say something and Peter go, people will go like, see, Peter didn't have any faith. That's not what's going on here. So, so Lord, if it's really you, so Peter obviously has faith because he recognizes it's the Lord. He says, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter said, let me come to you on the water. Just call me to come to you on the water and I'll come to you. And Jesus said, come on. Come on out here. So Peter went over the side of the boat, and he walked on the water toward Jesus. Did you hear that? He walked on the water toward Jesus. Peter is experiencing, Peter is living a miracle. Peter is walking on water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and he saw the waves, he was terrified, and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. So Peter now has taken his eyes off of Jesus He's, he's, Jesus says, come to me, look at me, come to me. I said to Henry, come to me. Peter, come to me. And Peter then all of a sudden gets distracted by the wind, the waves. He takes his eyes off Jesus and trouble begins. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And he says, this is where Peter gets the bad rap. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? So people say, there's Peter. He just doesn't have any faith. That's not what this means. When they climbed back in the boat, the wind stopped. The disciples worshiped him. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. When Peter said that, it's not that Peter didn't have faith. It's just that Peter was afraid. Remember last week I said, you can have faith, but you can still have fears. So, so I said uh, last week that the thing we have to be careful of is that our fears don't overwhelm us so much that it covers our faith, that it hides the solutions. And so here, Peter uh, was becoming self-absorbed in his challenge that he took his eyes off the Lord. So there, there's a lot going on in this story. There's wind, there's waves, um, there's a feeling of being tossed back and forth and getting, you know, riddled with problems, and, and it sounds like life, right? It sounds a lot like life. 
Storms come, storms go. We get tossed around. We, we feel helpless at the sea. The winds come. They're contrary. There are times that, 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 that the winds just come up so strong against us in life that we struggle with it, that the winds are there and they come. We struggle with ourselves. We struggle with our circumstances. We struggle with our temptations. We struggle with our sorrows. We struggle with all the things that come. We even struggle with decisions we need to make in life. And, and the significant thing here is that the story tells us something very important. It's something we have to remember. And here it is. We often forget when life takes those crazy turns, we forget this, that there's no need to struggle alone. You don't have to struggle alone. Sometimes we're in the battle. Sometimes we're in the fear. Sometimes we're in the helplessness. And that's it. We, we feel helpless. We feel, I'm, I'm so alone. I was talking to someone this week, and they, they're just overwhelmed by everything happening in their home. And they're like, I just feel so alone. But the story tells us that we're never alone. There's no need to struggle that way, that Jesus always comes to us. Our God is not so detached that he says, you, you got to come to me. You got to prove to me that you, you love me. You got to prove to me that you believe in me. No, no, no. He comes to us. He comes to us in our challenges. Jesus comes to us across the storm of life with hands stretched out to save and to calm and to clear and to, to share the voice bidding us to take heart and have no fear. What is it that you're wrestling with today? What, what is it that's just on your mind? Maybe, maybe some of you are, are worshiping with us today because, you know, life has just like dealt you a huge blow of this uncertainty and, and you're afraid and you're like, wow, there's a church that's teaching on fear. Maybe I need to clue into that today. Well, maybe today is the day that God's word will set you free. Peter has faith, folks. It's just not functioning properly. He's overwhelmed. He's being human. Peter's faith enables him to recognize Jesus' true identity. It's, it's faith enough to say, God, Lord, let call me to come to you. He's got the faith, but, but he's just overwhelmed by his circumstance. And he is challenged from that. He has faith, but he doesn't have faith in the capacity at that moment because of his fears to sustain him. He's got enough faith to nudge him, but after the nudge, it's just like, you know, God's got to help him see something far greater, and Jesus is there. You see, faith is not something Peter needs more of. Rather, faith is consistently trusting in Jesus to accomplish what Peter is called to do. Faith is trusting in Jesus so that you and I can accomplish what God has called us to do. That's faith. So I would think that Peter, once actually experiencing the sensation of walking on water, that whether or not that the, the surface was, was smooth or choppy, that, that that wouldn't really make a difference. But so for some reason, Matthew wants us to live into this. Matthew calls us into this tumultuous situation. Matthew wants us to understand that even for someone who has walked in faith, even someone who is physically with Jesus, even someone who proclaimed him the Son of God that there are times when faith and fear clash and Jesus is there. Peter saw the wind and it disrupted his life. The same thing happens to us. 
We launch into a new venture. We start a family, maybe a new career. We make a decision for life. We're dealing with health things or whatever. And so we're constantly being bombarded with all of these situations that come. We see the winds come. We see and feel the obstacles. We're in the midst of the battle. We're in, we feel the pain. We understand the loneliness, the unexpected conflict that saps our spirit. Plans go awry. People that we continue to depend on let us down. They leave. And we're constantly dealing with these things. And there's a huge obstacle before us. And that obstacle is called fear. And in this story, we learn so much about what God's desire is for us. You see, I, I've been thinking a lot about this in, in um, you know, fear and, and even confronting my own fears and, and um, wondering about things that did that. I, and what I've come to understand is, is that I can't control the circumstances that happen in my life as much as I want to. I mean, I want to hold on to that remote control when I'm at home. But then Patty grabs the one that's the master remote control that overrides my remote control. I can't control everything. I can't. But I can control how I respond to it. Did you catch that? You can't control everything, but you can control how you respond to it. You can't control the things that are going to bring fear to your life, but you can control how, how you deal with your fear. And I think that's the whole impetus of this story. I have to remind myself always that God is good. And not just good every now and then. God is always good. And, and, and you should understand that God is always good. And, and no matter what we face, we have to believe that God will be with us. As difficult and tragic or challenging or empty as it might feel that God walks with us. We can't control what happens, but we can control how we frame it. We know how to deal with that. If you've ever hit the wall, you know what I mean. You hit the wall and you're like, I wanna give up. If you've ever hit the wall, you, you think about it, let's just toss life. Let's just, I just can't do one more thing. I can't go one more place. I've reached a place where I can't handle one more thing. Like, you know, your teenagers keep giving you attitude and keep challenging you in life or, or you have a, a series of unplanned expenses that come up or, or day after day your boss doesn't recognize the quality work that you're doing. All these things are happening, your contributions, or, or your spouse does that thing that annoys you. Now, my wife is here at 9 o'clock this morning and she knows the thing that I do that annoys her. It's when I sneeze and how loudly I sneeze. But even when thing, your spouse does things that annoy you, those, you know, you've, got, you've just had enough. And that's where Elijah was. Elijah, one of the great prophets of the scriptures. Elijah, we find in 1 Kings 19.4, Elijah says these words, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. I mean, is this a guy in despair? Yeah, is this a guy with, with no hope? You bet. He wants to die. He doesn't even want to live anymore. And, and notice how he's allowing his negative thoughts to run away and control him. From the moment he begins to say, I've had enough, to I'm no longer better than my ancestors, to they're lucky that they're already dead. I mean, what do you think? The same, you know, the same thing we think about in our life. My life's too hard. I can't catch a break. Throw me a bone. Let this happen. Give me a break. Uh, let, let, give me a chance or whatever. And we, we start saying these kinds of things. 
When Elijah has these problems, we begin to see how we live through the same thing. Listen to this. Because of uncontrollable circumstances, here's what happens. We get fixated on the presence of our problems. We look at our problems and we lose focus on the presence of God. Right? Last week I said something. I said we should not look at it and say, God, I've got this huge problem. We need to kind of turn it and say, problem, I've got this huge God. There's a huge difference. There's a big difference in how we deal with that. Remember what Paul said. Now, Paul, Paul's writing these words from prison, okay? So, so most of Paul's letters were written from his time in prison. And you read and understand some of the things that he's saying and the, the incredible joy that he talks about. Paul writes this in Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I, he's in prison, but I'm going to rejoice in the Lord always. There's people that want to kill him. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then he says this, do not be anxious about anything, but in one situation or a couple, what does he say? He says, but in every situation, be prayerful and, and let your petitions go with thanksgiving. Present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, in the middle of, of trying to help people to understand this, um, you know, Paul is saying, yeah, I'm in prison, but I want to remind you to not be anxious. I want to remind you to be joyful. I want to remind you to take your petitions to your heavenly Father who loves you, who created you in his own image, who wants to be in relationship. You can trust God. And Paul is saying, the Lord is near. But you see, Elijah, Elijah forgot all of that. Elijah forgot that the Lord was near. He needed a reminder. So God gives Elijah a reminder. Now, anybody in the room ever had God, like, put you in your place? Yeah? Robert did. He did. I have. Has any of us ever called out to God and said, would you just give me an answer? And boom, there it is. I love the book of Job, wisdom book. And Job is just ranting and raving and complaining and chastising and all. And God remains silent for like, what, 30 chapters. And then finally God says, gird up your loins, strap on your shoes or your sandals. Let me tell you how it is. Where were you, Job, when I created the four corners of the world? Where were you? I mean, God like lets him have it. Go read it. You can hear it. But here's what God says to, to Elijah. The Lord said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. God is coming to Elijah. A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came what? A gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. You know, when I first started reading the life of Elijah, I'm going like, man, <clears throat> why didn't God show up as an earthquake? Why didn't God show up like presence in fire like he did to Moses, fire by day or smoke by day and fire by night to lead the Israelites? He shows up 
in a whisper. God's not in the wind. God's not in the earthquake. God's not in the fire. He says, there will be silence. And then, a whisper. God was in the whisper. Why did God whisper to Elijah? Why did he do that? When you're overwhelmed and you're feeling anxious, when someone speaks to you, you listen for that still small voice. When the world is just clattering and chattering at you, you need to close that out and listen for the still small voice. God whispers to Elijah, why? Folks, think about it. Because God is this close. Elijah. If you've ever had a loved one whisper in your ear, don't you lean into them. Listen to them. Because you want to hear the intimacy of the message that they have for you. You want them to communicate to you in such a way that makes sense. Because we have to be quiet. God whispers because he's so close. And he invites us, he draws us in. You know, what did Elijah learn on the mountain that, that day? He says, uh, he learned that when you've had enough, God is enough. Say that, when you've had enough, God is enough. When you've had enough, God is enough. That's what Elijah learned. When he had enough, God was enough. In our text in Matthew 14, let's go back. Peter said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And then when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Peter, I'm convinced, would have never called out to Jesus and asked to do that if the seas were calm. If he'd have seen Jesus just kind of like strolling out on a glassy sea, Peter probably would have been... That's pretty good, Lord. But it's the tumultuous seas, and, and Jesus is coming out, and Peter sees that. You see, storms prompt us to go on unprecedented journeys. For a few historic steps and heart-stilling moments, Peter did the impossible. He defied gravity, and he walked on water because he trusted God in that moment. Whether or not your storms come, you and I, we can't choose. They're coming, okay? Storms are coming. We can't choose when they will or to what capacity. But where we stare during a storm, that's the point. So as we think about this, we look at uh, uh, God's accomplishments. It says in Hebrews, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from that. So what have we heard about God's faithfulness? What have we heard about God's love for us? What have we heard about God overcoming our fears? And we need to understand and remember these unforgettable truths. Here they are. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new mercies every morning. And great is thy faithfulness, and the Lord is my portion. That's what the scriptures say. We have to remember that. So there I am. Come on, Henry. Jump. Jump. I, I've got you. Poppy's here. Trust me. Come, Henry. And at that moment, his little mind triggered and said, I can do this. And he jumped. 
But what I also need to tell you is the moment he jumped, he turned his head to look at his sister and he lost sight of where my arms were. And every hush puppy that Mississippi boy had eaten since birth chunked him down to the bottom of the pool. But his poppy, his protector, his poppy who was bigger than any event in his life quickly reached under the deep waters and whisked him up and brought him back to safety. And even though his eyes were big and he cried for a minute, he looked at me and began to laugh. He knew that he was going to be okay. Henry was safe that day, and he had nothing to fear. You and I can do the same. Why did Henry not fear? Because he trusted his poppy. Peter trusted Jesus that day on the water. You can too. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much for us to learn in these uncontrolled situations, these circumstances that sometimes are fleeting or fast. We need to trust in you. God, give us the courage that when we're not sure to be reminded of what Peter's experience with you in Matthew 14 reminds. We see you. We call out to you. You say, come, I'm here. And may our eyes stay focused on you. But God, thank you for your grace that is sufficient, that even when our fears overwhelm us and we forget these truths, that you remain firm, steadfast, and great is your faithfulness. In Jesus' name.